Oh, Father, I come and we all come together to pray for the broken, and to pray for the brokenhearted. And sometimes, Lord, we look and we think about the old nursery rhyme about Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall and had a great fall and nobody could put him back together again. But I thank you, Lord, that as our Lord, Master, as our Creator, as the one who formed us, as the one who can do the impossible, you can put the broken back together again. And in fact, we can see blessings that come out of our scars and out of our brokenness. In fact, you are strong when we are weak. And sometimes we find ourselves wanting to be so strong, posturing ourselves as being so strong, as being the ones who can handle everything, and yet we miss out on what you would do for us if we would just simply come before you, humble ourselves, and admit that we can't do it. Admit that we can't fix ourselves. Admit that trying harder and doing better and uh, having more information and being better educated is not the key. We need the strength of the Lord. We need it in our families. We need it for raising our children. We need it in order to pray for our grandchildren. We need it to be witnesses for Christ. We need it to overcome our own sin. Oh God, we pray that you would help us because we find ourselves as being helpless. As the hymn writer said, that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and shed his own blood for my soul. And so, Lord, we come together as the broken, the messed up, the helpless. We come to you as the ones who have nothing to boast about. We come before you as those who are weak. And we come asking for your strength in our lives. Asking that we might see your power in our prayer lives. Asking that we might see your power in our witnessing. Asking, Lord, that we might have power and influence over the work of the enemy. And over what the enemy is doing in the lives of our family members. Asking, Father, that we might be filled with your power so that we might reach our community. We might reach our metro area, our state, and our nation, and even touch our world for Jesus Christ. There's no way we can do that except through you. And we pray that you would do in and through us great and mighty things that we know not, as it says in Jeremiah. And I pray that we would remember what Paul prayed in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. To him be glory in the church through Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Amen. And it says in those verses that you do that through the power that works in us. So forgive us when we are trying to do what only you can do. And we pray that through our brokenness and through our failures and our fears, you will show us your strength so minister to your children minister to your people open our eyes and our ears now to the inerrant infallible all-sufficient word of god and change our lives and this we pray in jesus name amen i appreciate that thank you for your time and thank you for your prayers and uh as we uh 
kind of reflect back to last week. Paul said in the book of 2 Thessalonians that we are to continue and to stand and to hold fast to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by our epistle. They're supposed to be, of course, uh, apostolic. And they're supposed to be something that we hold on to. I was uh, reading a little bit of some commentary, <coughs> pardon me, uh, on these verses. And uh, I heard John Piper talking about tradition. Now, you can have tradition in your life or in your church just for tradition's sake, and it becomes old, dusty, dry, and uh, lifeless. And it just becomes formalism that we go through, and it doesn't do anything. But he pointed out that the word tradition actually is a word that means to uh, basically pass something on to another generation. And it's something that's supposed to enrich. And it's something that's supposed to give meaning. I think about uh, the traditions that we have even as Americans. And one of the things that I think is hurting our nation is we're losing our traditions. People don't know what they are. They don't know what, they for, what they're for. We're coming up on Memorial Day. And what is Memorial Day all about? Well, they were asking some people off of the street, what is Memorial Day? And most of them had no clue. I thought it was the beginning of summer. It's a day to go to the beach. It's when we kick everything off. And that broke my heart because Memorial Day, and a lot of people get Memorial Day and Veterans Day mixed up. Memorial Day is not a day to thank veterans. We always are thankful for our veterans. Memorial Day is a day of remembrance of those who died giving their lives for our nation while they were serving our country. And uh, so... When President Obama a few years ago was saying something about and Memorial Day we give thanks and some of you are here today, I thought, who is he seeing? Memorial Day is a day when you give thanks for those who died. We get those things mixed up. And I think our country is in decline because we don't know what our traditions are. Our traditions are ways of passing on our history, passing on the sacred uh, trust that God has given us as Americans and uh, now for over 240 years we have been an example and a light to the world in terms of personal freedom and people have shed their blood in order that we might remain free and Memorial Day is a day to remember those people but if we don't know that we don't do it and if we don't do it we tend to think that just this is normal. This is just the way it is. Why am I free? Because I'm a great person and I deserve it. And it'll just always be this way. And uh, we forget about our heroes. We forget about the blood that was shed for our nation. And because of that, we take it for granted. Would anybody in the room agree with me? We're kind of in a state of taking our nation for granted and our freedoms for granted, it's a sad, sad thing. But I'm not here to talk about and pump up America. That's just an example. I also find that families are losing their traditions. Some of you grew up 
in a time where your family got together and every night you sat around the dinner table and you ate together and you talked about things and you laughed about things and you shared those kind of things. Don't raise your hand. How many people ever, ever gather around the table to eat and to share those kind of things? That tradition, <coughs> I'm afraid, is long gone for the vast majority of people. So we have parents that don't really know their children, children that don't really know their parents, their lives don't intersect, they don't really know what's going on until something bad happens. And I think things like that are very, very sad. I also saw a time where people were interviewed off of the street. Ready for this? About three-fourths of them had no idea what Easter was all about. Christ being raised from the dead, and they didn't know. It's just a time for family, a time together, a time to eat ham, a time to eat mashed potatoes, that type of thing. How many people on Thanksgiving actually take time to really give thanks? President Lincoln <coughs> pardon me, made a proclamation during the Civil War that we were to get before Almighty God and give Him thanks for what He had done and was doing in our lives and it was to be a time also of repentance of our national sin. When is the last time we have repented of our national sin? Even church members, even Christians. When is the last time you got burdened about the sexual perversion that is permeating our land. When is the last time you thought about it? When is the last time you grieved over it? When is the last time you confessed those types of things as sin in our land? We just don't do that. We just kind of let go of those things. We have a tradition every Christmas when we get ready to decorate our tree or whenever we can. We have a spike similar to the spike that would have been used to nail Jesus to the cross. And we take that Christmas nail, it's called, we've had it for years, and we put it on the inside of the tree. And it's a reminder to us, whatever else may go on at Christmas, there's a lot of fun things at Christmas, a lot of family things at Christmas, a lot of fun things, and a lot of traditions. It's a reminder to us, every time we look at the tree, nothing supersedes the fact that God sent His Son to die on a cross for our sins. And we like to take that, and uh, a lot of times our grandkids aren't there when we start to decorate the tree. And so before we uh, open presents, we take that nail out, and we let them hold it sometimes and think about what it really is all about, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins it's called a tradition it's something that we do over and over and yeah they roll their eyes yeah they yawn some of them cry some of them don't understand anything that you're saying but some of them do and some of them are starting to get it and it's the repetitive action of those kind of things that passes on history and tradition and it starts including uh, new generations in everything that we do. And so when we think about what Paul said there, we think about that a tradition uh, is a reminder that nothing started with us. When we uh, see the flag going down the street in a parade, I don't know about you, I still choke up. I still get a 
tear in my eye and I get a lump in my throat when I think about the fact that I was privileged to be born in such a great land as this. And that's why um, when I was 18 years old, I signed up for the draft. I was willing to serve and willing to fight for my country. That's why that uh, I go whenever there's an election, I go to vote. Because I believe it's a stewardship that I ought to be involved. And I ought to try to know something. I don't always, sometimes there are a bunch of names down there. I'm, who in the world are we talking about? All those judges, you, you ever trip up over those things? And sometimes, I mean, I just do a thing like, I think I voted for them last time. I'm going to vote them all out this time. And uh, just to keep them honest. Uh, need to do better at some of that. But I try. Do you? <clears throat> I hope you do. Because... Uh, this is one of those things that we need to think about who we are. We need to think about our history. We need to think about the price that was paid. And we need to think about our stewardship. Now, I can apply that even to the family. You need to have family traditions in your life that you can pass on to your children. You need to have those things that point to the heritage of the family, to the sacrifices that were made by the family. You have any people in your family that have... Uh, served in the military you have any people that have been wounded in the military your kids ought to know about that you know we don't talk about those things enough and you need some other family traditions as well praying over your meals um, things like that going to church together uh, when you get home from church talk about what happened at church talk to your kids about their sunday school lesson talk to them about what they learned in children's church talk about what you learned here in Big church, those kind of things. We need to talk and we need to have those kind of traditions in our lives. And we need to pass on family history. Here's another tradition. Do your kids and do your grandkids know your testimony? You say, oh yeah, everybody knows that. Don't say that too quick. I bet they don't. I bet you're assuming they did, but they may have been too young to understand it last time you shared it. Some of the family stories about how God met needs, about how God answered prayer, about how God came through in times when you thought nothing was going to work. Your kids need to hear that. And they're just like you. We don't get stories the first time we hear them. We need to hear them over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Find a time and find a way to share those kind of things. You need those. We need church traditions. It's uh, always cool when we can sing songs. Sometimes they're new songs, but we all sing them together, the old as well as the young. And it's kind of neat when we break out some of the old songs and we can sing those together. And we sing them, the young and the old. We sing them together. Songs that our grandparents and our great-grandparents or further back might have sung. Sometimes they can be songs that some of the old martyrs of the faith might have sung when they were imprisoned. It's absolutely amazing when we think about what we can do through just repetition and tradition. Now, we have to be careful that it doesn't become merely dead, dry ritual that we just kind of repeat. It needs to be something that we understand. It needs to be something that is given meaning. It is, needs to be something that we can put in our own lives and our own context. And you can figure out 
kind of how to do that. But it's a way, we said that your tradition is a way of, first of all, pointing to Christ, and secondly, bringing Christian people together, and thirdly, passing it on to another generation. Think about the Lord's Supper. Can that be a tradition? Of course it is. As often as you do this, do this, and here's the key, in remembrance, what? Of me. Christ has to be the center of it. It's not just a time to take a little juice and a little bit of bread, get an extra point that might get us across the goal line to heaven. It's nothing like that. Remembrance of me. Remembrance of me. It's a good time where we come together as Christians and we take that supper and remember we remember what Christ did for us. But it's also a time when your kids are just dying because they know that little piece of bread must taste like the best Oreo ever made. Boy, do they ever get a shock whenever that time comes, right? And that little bit of grape juice, I mean, there's hardly any in it. And, oh, it's got to be so wonderful. And then you drink it and you find out it's just plain old regular grape juice. But sometimes when they ask questions, can I take it? It's your chance to share why or why not. It's your chance to share what it means. It's your chance to share the symbolism. Before you ever get to church, you can talk about those things. And the Lord can stir up things within them. This is the kind of stuff that is so incredibly important and because we don't know a lot of our history, I would uh, dare say most of you don't know much about Baptist history, much less Christian history, and all the things that happened to get us to where we are now. And people that were burned at the stake in order that you might have an English Bible. You might ought to know about that because you're going to run into William Tyndall in heaven. He gave his life so that you might have a Bible in your own native language. That was illegal in England back in his day. And he was burned at the stake for that. Make you think a little bit different next time you have your daily Bible reading and you open up your Bible and it's not in Latin. You can actually read it. And you think about those people who took the time to actually translate it out of Greek and Hebrew and they translated it into English. That's got to be a job. Especially back in the days when they didn't have computers. Or any kind of word processing or anything like that. They wrote it out by hand. And not with a ballpoint pen. With a quill. Can you imagine dipping it into that ink. And writing as much as you could. And dipping it again. And, and doing that all the way through. For 66 books of the Bible. But if you don't know that, you can't really appreciate it. You don't really get it. And that's the thing that I see that in our age is so far missing. National traditions, family traditions, and church traditions as we remember our history and as we connect with them and connect with one another and connect with future generations. Uh, the word remember is a prominent word in the Bible. The word remember in its various Hebrew and Greek forms occurs over 250 times in the Bible. So what do you think the point is? We're forgetful. The people of God are forgetful. And even the Israelis, the ancient Jews, 
They would forget what God had done for them. They would forget to tell their children. And so when their children would grow up, Moloch seemed to be a suitable alternative to Yahweh or Baal to Yahweh. And they would give themselves to these foreign gods because they didn't know and didn't understand all the things that God had done for them. And so I make a plea, make sure that your family and that your friends and that your neighbors know what God has done for you. And it's good for you to remember that as you uh, tell the story. So we want to make sure that things point to Christ, that they bring people together, and that they connect the generations. When Martin Luther wrote the hymn, don't you love the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God? Now, we think the old rugged cross is old, and I think it was written in 1912. A Mighty Fortress is Our God, called the Battle Hymn of the Reformation, was written. He penned that in 1529. 1529. Think about that. 1529. And published it a couple of years later. And we can stand and sing, A mighty fortress is our God. And we're singing with the saints from hundreds of years ago. Those who sang it at peril of their lives. And we bond together with them to remember that Christ is the head of the church. That upon this rock, Jesus said, meaning himself, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the Reformation is one of those proofs. And that's one of those great traditions that we have. Now I want to give you an illustration of a tradition by asking you to turn to the book of Joshua chapter 4. And we're going to read together verses 1 through 9. But it tells a story about the people of God coming across the Jordan River and something that God had them do. He had them gather stones. They're not pebbles, stones. And they were to be used as a reminder, to be used as a marker so that they never forgot what God has done. And I'm going to ask you at the end of the service to do a little bit of thinking and a little bit of, re of uh, remembering do you need to pile some stones somewhere in your family? Oh, I don't mean necessarily literally. I guess you could. But do you need to have some spiritual markers and remembrances in your life? Have you forgotten what God has done for you? So, Joshua, chapter 4 and uh, verses 1 through nine. Let's begin at verse one. If you found it, would you say amen? And it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones, one apiece. From here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. They weren't in mud, they were on dry land. You shall carry them over with you, and you shall leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. This place is going to become a museum. 
It's going to become a shrine. It's going to become a holy place just by bringing rocks in. Okay? Well, what's the purpose? Verse 4. <coughs> COVID hangover here. Excuse me. Then Joshua filled the 12 men, or called the 12 men, pardon me, from uh, that he, whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each of you take a stone on his shoulder. So we're talking about a big one. And we're talking about some strong men here, young men. He said, do it according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. Why? Here's the purpose. That this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, what do these stones mean to you? And then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a, I don't know what your translation says, mine says a memorial. What does a memorial do? It's supposed to make you stop and think and to remember. These stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones from the midst of the Jordan as the Lord had spoken to Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there to this day. They used to trip me up when I was a young believer. Are they really still there? Well, the writer of this is saying they're still there at the time of this writing. Probably not there now. I'm sure they've been washed away. And there's been a lot that has happened in that land. A lot of battles, a lot of conquering. And every time somebody would come in there, they would tear down whatever was previously there. So pagans would come and they would put up their idols and others. And then the Muslims would come in and tear down all the pagan stuff and all the Jewish stuff and all the Christian stuff. And then somebody else would come in maybe the Crusaders, and they would build a church on a place they thought was holy and that kind of stuff. So a lot of things have happened over there. Now, if you will recall, the children of Israel could not cross the Jordan because it was at flood stage and was very dangerous. Now, when I was over there at the part of the Jordan River, they pointed out where the baptism of Christ took place and where this crossing took place it's in the desert and the Jordan River there is a very puny kind of a pathetic as our guide said kind of river now if you go up to the northern part where the waters from Mount Hermon flow then it's a mighty there's a waterfall and a lot of water coming through there but the time it gets all the way to that southern part of Israel and has deposited water in the Sea of Galilee and 
some of it in the Dead Sea, and then it comes out. There's not much. And I remember thinking, why did a miracle have to take place to get them apart, across? Well, then our guide was explaining that all of the mountains on either side of the highway we were on, she said, if you'll look closely, you can see the places where water has run down them. And every year in Israel, as it rains in Jerusalem and other places, the water there runs off and it comes off of those mountains and it comes in a flash flood over the desert. And the people there for centuries have collected that water and that's the water that they use for irrigation, for bathing, for drinking, and they gather enough of it to uh, last them for a year. So this was apparently at that flood stage when it was all running and the water was coming off of those mountains and filling up that valley. And so when they got ready to cross the Jordan, just as it happened at the Red Sea, the Lord worked a miracle and it parted. And the water was stopped and they walked across on dry land. But the ark remained there in the riverbed. And uh, that's where they picked up these stones that they carried to where they were lodging to set up so that every time they went by there, the little kid would say, what's up with the, with the rocks? What happened there? What does that mean? And then it gave them a chance to explain the whole situation. So uh, think about some things with me. Number one, <coughs> number one tradition, memory, and worship are tied together. I mean, that even happens when we're coming here. How often does it happen when maybe there is a particular scripture that is read or maybe there is a song that is sung and it takes you back to when you were a kid? It takes you back to going to church with your grandparents. It takes you back to when you were saved or something. Worship and all of that is tied to our memory. And more than that, we remember the Lord and we remember what the Lord has done. And so every week there's probably something that reminds you of a Sunday school teacher. It reminds you of your mom or dad. It reminds you of a grandparent. It reminds you of somebody who had an influence on your life. They took you on an RA camp out or something like that. And so it all kind of works together. And that's okay as long as we don't supersede or overlook the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is the object of all of this. And so when this happens, uh, this, these stones are put together. And this is something that not only will the children ask questions about it, that's important, but every Israeli, grown-ups, grandparents, when they drive by there, maybe one of them kind of jabs the other and said, look over there. Oh, yeah, you remember when that happened? Oh, yeah, I sure do. <coughs> maybe in the next generation... Oh, there are those stones. Those are the stones that Grandma and Grandpa used to talk about. That's where our people crossed over when we came into the land where God did and He worked the miracle. And that's why the sharing of testimonies, that's why the sharing of prayer requests, that's why when we work together, we don't just hold them privately because people need to see. Some of you are alive today because of answered prayer, and humanly speaking, you shouldn't be here. But God had other plans for you. People need to know that. People need to understand that. People need to hear your stories, and they need to know what is going on in your life. And your family really needs to know this, because it ties 
all these things together. Do it for the glory of God. Do it to bring people together. And do it to connect the other generations that are coming. Now secondly, notice this. Traditions work with combined effort. Okay, what do I mean by that? Okay, what if only one tribe brought a stone? What if uh, the tribe of Judah said, okay, we'll do it. And the tribe of Benjamin said, no, nah, not so much. It, it wouldn't matter, would it? There's something about the collective working of these things. If you come together for church and you take the Lord's Supper in my office by yourself, what, what good does that do in testifying to anybody else? There's something about traditions when it brings people together and we together participate in these things that then it has some oomph. It has some power. It makes an impact on the people that are watching. And that's why... Uh, even when we talk about the church growing, ah, all you preachers are interested in is numbers. Well, that may be true for a lot of people, but I also know numbers have impact. And if people drive by our church and they see a parking lot that is full to overflowing, the first thing they're going to ask is, what is happening there? What is going on there? And when in your family you pray over a meal and you begin to ask God to meet needs or to provide things and the next thing we know it's provided, even your little children are going to go, how did that happen? What was going on? And there's your opportunity to testify, as Psalm 78 says, of the work of the Lord. <clears throat> but as we do this, it's more powerful when it's not just your family seeing answered prayer, but your children and grandchildren are hearing in their classrooms about other families. And somebody else says, oh, we were getting ready to pray for our food the other night, and we asked God to give Dad a job, and Monday morning, Dad got a job. And then this little kid says, hey, we were praying too over our food, and we were asking God to make Grandma well. And grandma's home for the hospital. And can you imagine as they begin to share the power of all of that coming together. And that's why we have corporate worship. That's why we worship together. That's why you gather in Sunday school classes with a chance to share in small groups. Don't keep it to yourselves. These things need to be shared. It's not bragging. It is testifying of Jesus. And these things make an impact on people, especially when it's happening not just for one or two people, but multitudes of people. It starts a movement. Number three, tradition opens up an opportunity for teaching. You know, there's nothing worse than trying to teach somebody who doesn't want to listen. There, I, you know, I can testify to that. And uh, you Sunday school teachers, sometimes you know there are times your class is interested, and there are times when you can tell they're just like, Get us out of here and get this over with. And uh, it's a miserable thing to try to teach somebody who doesn't want to learn. Ask a school teacher. They deal with that all the time. But what a joy it is when you teach somebody who asks you the question. So if you have these traditions that the Lord set up for Israel, it's designed not to say, okay, kids, Today we're driving to the stones. Oh, do we have to go there again? Notice that this is set up so that while you're driving by there, maybe you take the long way and you go by the stones, and all of a sudden your three-year-old goes, look at that pile of rocks. What is that? Ah, 
Now I can drive a Mack truck through that. And so your faithfulness to church, your faithfulness to the Word of God, your faithfulness to pray, your faithfulness to share what God has done in your life, what are you really doing in all of that? Just making people's lives miserable? Boring the kids? No, you're planting seeds. You're sharing things in them that they may not understand now, but there's a day coming they're going to want to know. There's a day coming that they're going to be interested. Hey, Grandma, do I remember it right that when Grandpa was a little boy, this and this and this happened? Well, they may have it kind of wrong, and they probably will. That's your chance to say, well, kind of. Can I tell you about it? And they're interested, and so you tell them that story. There are times when there will be prayer things that happen in your family. And when your children talk about it later on, they may not have it exactly right. That's your chance to say, well, uh, that's, that's close. Let me tell you how that happened and what was going on and why that was so important in our family. And now they're at the age where they get it and they remember it and they stand on it. And when we take that and we combine that with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that is something that becomes absolutely powerful. And maybe we're losing our children because we're trying to cram things down their throat that they didn't ask about. They're not hungry for because they didn't really see the consistency in our lives to stir up any interest. So here's a question. Are you consistent enough in your walk with God and the spiritual traditions you have that anybody notices and that your children are going to admire, notice, and ask you questions about that. And then there's your opportunity to point them unto the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice how this opens up the door. Your children are going to ask questions. And number four, tradition stirs up godly remembrances. You know, it's not just the children who don't know. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we get caught up in... Everything else that is happening, everything else that is going on, and we just kind of let it go, and we don't want to make waves, and we don't want to cause trouble, and we don't want to be a know-it-all, so we just keep our mouths shut, and then we just go with the flow. And every once in a while, God's going to bring you up against a pile of stones. And it may be a pile of stones that's there on dry land, but remember Joshua also put them in the water. Your boat might run into a pile of stones. And it's God's way of saying, I'm not going to let you forget. I'm not going to let you forget me. And I'm not going to let you forget what it is that God did and what God is doing for you. Because you see in Psalm 106, verse 7, it says, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, now notice this, when they were in Egypt, while they were slaves, they did not consider your wondrous works. And it says, and they did not remember. You know, how could you not? How could you not? In fact, he's making reference when it says, do not remember, to the time they had just come through the Red Sea. They just came through the Red Sea. Moses is up getting the law of God from the Lord. And what did they do? Right there by the Red Sea. What have you done for me lately? Sometimes we say to the Lord. 
God help us. He has done more for us than we ever deserve if he never did another thing for us. So what do you need? You need a pile of stones to remind you. You need God to show you and remind you what he has done because you're missing some tremendous opportunities. So maybe this Christmas you want to get your family together and uh, when you decorate the tree or something, you might want to talk about not just the Christmas story. They've heard Jesus is born in a stable. Tell them why he was born in a stable so that he could die on a cross for their sins. There might be some times when you get ready to pray and before you pray and pray the same old prayer in the same old way over the same old food. <coughs> Maybe at that point you want to say, hey, before we pray for our food, let's remember how God answered our prayer a year ago or 10 years ago. And you talk about what God did then. And maybe when you get ready to go to church, you don't just get your kids and say, get ready, we got to go to church. Maybe you start talking about, to them about the fact that some countries, there are people there who don't ever get to go to church because the government won't let them. And maybe you talk to them about martyrs. And maybe you talk to them about people who died because they loved the Lord and they loved his church. Maybe you tell them about John Huss and William Tyndall and the sacrifice that they made so that you could have a Bible you could actually read and you could do it without the government coming in and stopping you. All I'm saying is, in our life, it's good to be alive and God has done things in your life. Oh, they may not be the most dramatic things in the world, but they're enough. And they're enough for you to talk to your children and share the things of God so that Christ is glorified, the family is brought together, and the generations are taught the things that they need to remember because, oh, how quickly we forget. God, forgive us for forgetting what he has done so quickly and moving on to the next big thing. Do you feel that with me? And do you understand what I'm saying there about all of us, including me? That we need to remember. So would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes now? And I want you just to think. Is there something in your life that God has done? Obviously, he saved you. But what else? What about that time you said, Oh, please, Lindsay, put my, put my son or daughter's name on the prayer list and please don't forget, Oh man, our family needs prayer. And you move so far past that now? Have you thought about it? Have you thought about that time when you didn't know how you were going to make your rent payment? And God came through for you? Have you thought in a long time about the things that the Lord has done? Much less thinking about His wonderful grace and His salvation for you. Maybe you need to put up a reminder. Hang some scripture in your home that remind you what God has done. Maybe in your garden or in your flower bed, maybe you actually do want to buy, maybe not stones you have to carry on your shoulder, but maybe some smaller ones. And you want to put them together in a pile so that every time you're out there pulling weeds and deadheading flowers and trimming bushes, you see those stones and it's a reminder 
to give thanks to the Lord for what he has done. I don't know what you want to do. Maybe it's time to start a, I know this is an oxymoron, a new tradition in your family that points to Christ, that brings people together, and that introduces other generations to what God has done. And maybe today you need to start by repenting of your sins and putting your trust in Jesus Christ alone as the only hope of your salvation, that he died, buried, and rose again and bore the wrath of God in your place for your sin because he loved you. And out of that, you want to surrender to him as the Lord of your life and you want to trust him and trust him alone as your Savior and Lord. And he'll give you a new nature. He'll give you his spirit. He'll give you a brand new start in your life. And he'll forgive your sins, past, present, and future, all because of what Jesus did on the cross. Oh, will you trust him today? Maybe you need to join the church. Chad Trench is right down here, and he's sitting on the actually the second row. Come and talk to him, and he'll get you with somebody who can share more with you about all of that. But don't let opportunities pass you by to testify in an intergenerational way that will impact your family long after you are gone. Heavenly Father, you said in Hebrews chapter 11 with those great people of faith that being dead, they still speak. Well, Lord, I want to be that kind of person. And people in this room want to be that kind of person too. And we want to have impact on our families long after we are gone for your glory. Show us how to do that and how to bring remembrance of Christ and what he has done and how to impact our family for the glory of Christ to bring us together around certain meaningful things that really do matter. And also, Lord, to pass them on to new generations. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all so much.